Next, the golden days of radio. Hi, this is Frank Brzee inviting you to join me for the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past, headlining some of the world's most famous personalities. On this program, we are featuring Joe Stafford and Frankie Lane, an excerpt from the program 20 Questions, the Joe Lewis Buddy Bear fight in 1941, plus Charlie McCarthy with John Barrymore. And now, the Chesterfield Supper Club of January 13th, 1949. It's showtime at the Chesterfield Supper Club on the air five nights a week with America's greatest singing stars, Perry Como, Joe Stafford, Peggy Lee, and featuring Frankie Lane, the Fontaine Sisters, the Starlighters, and the orchestras of Mitchell Ayers, Dave Barber, and Paul Weston. All brought to you by the milder cigarette, Chesterfield. And now, here's the star of our show, Peggy Lee. A little bird told me that you love me. And I believe that you do. A little bird also told me I was falling. There's no use denying, I might as well confess Of all the boys I know, dear, I'm sure I love you best A little bird told me we'll be happy And I believe that it's true A little bird told me we'll be merry Pretty cottage not too far All fenced in like a movie star Great Dane Papa gonna call him Ace Lying there by the fireplace Goldfish pond and wishing well Everything is gonna turn out swell A little bird told me we'd be happy Bird lost his feathers. Thank you very much. And separate clubbers, it's good to be with you. It's Frankie Lane, friends, and the great song he revived on Mercury Records. Thank you very much. And now, Miss Peggy Lee, how'd you like to share a little song with me? Well, Frankie Lane, there's one thing true. There's nothing that I'd rather do the way a light needs a socket. Kangaroos need a pocket, baby. Uh-huh. I need you. The way a lad needs a lassie Demi must have a 
Tennessee, baby, I need you. You are to me like the salt is to the sea. To illustrate, you make me palpitate the way a goat needs Angora. Mm-hmm. Blacker needs Amora. <laughs> Baby, I need you. The way a yacht Needs a harbor, yes. Sweet Peggy, you need Dave Barber. The way a window needs a pane, that's my desire. Needs Frankie Lane. The way a bed needs a pillow. We all need Petrello, baby. Baby, I need you. One of the popular shows during the 40s was presided over by Bill Slater as a panel of experts tried to guess a subject in 20 questions or less. This is a particularly funny segment. For Ira Barmack and all our listeners around the world, we take you back more than 20 years to 20 questions. Now an interesting subject sent by Patricia Everett of Spokane, Washington. We're sending her a Ronson lighter. This subject is animal. The panel can't hear me telling you that our subject this time is... The father expecting the stork. All right. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's see if we can get this animal in 20 questions. Van I'm glad the audience is having a lot of fun because I can't laugh. We're all going they to They must have all fun. come up on the same train. What's the first question, Van? Is this a living American man? <laughs> Miss Renard? Is it Van de Vetter? government. Well, some of them are and some of them aren't. Oh, it's one of those. Yeah. Okay. It's a certain kind of living American man. He doesn't necessarily have to be American either. I want to be helpful on this. Van? Uh, this is a class question and that's a statement. Uh, well, thank you for the statement. <laughs> Bobby? Uh, is this a man denoted by his occupation? Thank <laughs> you. 
Wise man. Well, can he be detected by his physical appearance? Can he be... What was your question? Can he be detected by his physical appearance? <laughs> yes, he usually can. Yeah. Benny? Is it a natural phenomenon? <laughs> Freak of nature, Benny. <laughs> Herbert? Does he wear a uniform? <laughs> some of them do, and some of them don't. That's eight questions. Van de Venner? Does this, uh, can this man be identified by any act that he has committed? <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's nine questions. Herbert? Does he ever take a bath? <laughs> but he probably wouldn't remember it. He wouldn't Van? Is this a legal act? Van? That needs explanation. I don't mean is he a criminal, but uh, as, for instance, a uh, bridegroom would be committing a legal act when he got married. It's perfectly legal. That's 11 questions. Miss Renard? Well, is it a desirable act? I should say so. Highly. All right, 12 questions you've used, Van. Is the act committed in association with anyone else? Van? Yeah. Is the someone else a woman? Yes. Van? Well, is it a bridegroom? Uh, bridegroom? No. 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 How many questions is that? That's 15 mm -hmm. questions. You've got five to go. Van is Does it have anything to do with marriage? Yes. Sure. All right, that's got four questions to go. Herbert? Is it the justice of the peace? <laughs> well, some of them are and some of them aren't. Miss Renard? Is it a new father, the heritage? That's right. That's what it is. <laughs> it's a father, it's a father expecting the stork, and you got it in 18 questions, and my hat is off to you. That was really a hard one to get. The Joe Lewis Buddy Bear fight in 1941 was something special. So special, in fact, that the Armed Forces Radio Service rebroadcasted on one of their programs. Here's comedian Eddie Cantor to introduce this segment. Here's another letter from Corporal L.W. somewhere in the Philippines who says, The gang around here are all wondering about the heavyweight boxing situation back home. What about Joe Lewis and Buddy Bear? What are the odds? 
Boy, we sure like to be in on that fight. Well, Corporal, you're as good as in right now. We've made a special recording of the big title scrap, which was staged the night before Joe Lewis joined the Army. Joe Lewis, who gave his entire share of the purse to the Navy Relief Fund, versus Buddy Bear, with Don Dumphy doing the blow-by-blow, and Bill Corum handling the ringside comment. Let's have it. Coming up to the center of the ring, here's Frankie Fulham. You'll hear these instructions. Frankie Fulham, the referee, is about to give instructions to Lewis and Bear. Here they go. All right, I know you two boys are both familiar with the rules and regulation of the New York State Athletic Commission. In the event that either one of you two boys hit low, I'm going to take the round away with you. Furthermore, <coughs> we all know you two boys fight the American way, which is the clean way. Good luck, shake hands, I'm out fighting. And they go back to their corners. You heard the instructions. There couldn't be any doubt about that. Both men look very fit indeed. Lewis is dancing in his corner a little bit. Looks the same as usual. Looks down at his feet. Bear standing with the hop on pounding him on the back. They're looking up now. They're waiting for the bell. Here it is. Don Duffy, round one. Thanks, Bill Corum. Bear is first to lead. He comes in, rushes Lewis to the ropes with a hard left and a right to the body. But Lewis immediately goes into a clinch and ties up his opponent. Referee Frankie Fulham goes between them. Bear fights in a crouch, takes a left jab to the head. Lewis misses a left hook to the head, and Bear goes in close with a light right uppercut to Lewis's chin. Lewis jabs, then hooks the left and crosses the right to Bear's head. Bear goes back a little bit, then comes on. Lewis jabs with his left and comes in close with a light right uppercut. Bear takes the blow. He's fighting behind his right hand. Lewis jabs twice. The blows are blocked by Bear. Bear fires a right, hooks the left to Lewis's chin, landing very nicely for the challenger. But Lewis is back with a left jab, opening up with a hard left and a right to the head. A left hook to the jaw drives Bear into the ropes. Lewis is pounding him with three straight rights to the head. Bear is giving ground now, working his way out into the center of the ring. Lewis is out to end it in a hurry if he can. Bear misses with a left and pounds the right to the head and takes a hard left hook to the jaw, a right to the ribs, opens up with another right to the bear's head, and Bear pounds a hard right to the body. Lewis comes back on the end, fighting with a left and a right to the midsection. They're at close quarters now, standing toe-to-toe. Lewis hooks the left to the jaw. Bear goes behind his gloves into a crouch, takes a left jab to the head, a right to the jaw, a right to the body, a left to the jaw, another right to the jaw by Lewis, a right cross to the jaw by Lewis. Bear comes out out of his crouch, jabs the left to the head, and then crosses the right to Lewis's jaw. Bear comes back fighting with a right to the body and a right to the jaw, and the referee is watching for close quarters. Lewis opens up again with a left and a right to the head, and Bear is taking a lot of punishment, but really taking it. He's not flinching, though. He fires the left to Lewis's head, throws the right, which is blocked by the champion. Boys out in the center of the ring, one and a half minutes of round one gone. A left jab to the nose by Lewis and a left hook to the jaw, and he crosses the right to Bear's head. But Bear comes back fighting, rushing Lewis to the ropes with a right and a left to the head. Bear misses the left, which goes over the crouching Lewis's head, and Lewis goes into a clinch, rips the right uppercut to Bear's head as they come out of it. Bear stands out in the center of the ring. Lewis pours away with the left hand, misses the left hook, aims for the body. Bear goes fighting straight up now. He takes the left to the jaw. Bear trying to get behind that right hand. Bear is down on the right cross to the jaw. He's frustrating in the ring at three, four, five. He's coming up to one knee. Seven, eight, nine, and he's up. There's less than a minute to go, about 55 seconds in round one. Lewis is trying to measure him. He crosses the right to the jaw. Bear takes the right to the head. He's just taking punishment now. He reels back from another right to the jaw. And Bear is down flat in the center of the ring. Lewis is going to a neutral corner. Bear's trying to get up. It's five, six. He's coming to one knee. Seven. He's on both knees. Eight. He's just getting up. It's nine. Lewis is rushing in for the kill. The referee rushes, rushes the gloves from Bear. There's a left and a right to the jaw by Lewis. Bear goes back, a right to the jaw, another right to the jaw, and a right up the cut. And Bear pounds to the canvas. Two, three, he's railing around, trying to get up. Four, 
five, six, seven, and it looks as though it's all over. He's trying to get up yet. He climbs to his feet, but the referee says no go. It's all over. A one-round knockout for Joe Lewis. And here's Bill Corum. Don, we'll never see a more sensational round. It was short, but Bear showed all the gameless in the world, and he was still struggling to his feet, trying to get up along the rope after that savage bombardment. Three times down, two times for nine. The last time he was on his feet, here's the bell and the official announcement. The time, two minutes, 56 seconds of the first round. The winner by a knockout and still the heavyweight champion of the world, Joe Lewis. In 1971, I interviewed Joe Lewis here in Hollywood for the AFN Weekend World program. Here's what he told me when I asked him to reflect on boxing as a sport. Boxing is a sport that you must be in perfect condition to, 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 to become a fighter. You can't fight with a cut eye, cut the when you fight. You can't fight with a broken arm while like basketball player, baseball player, they have a black eye, they can fight. A cut eye, they can still fight. Still play baseball. But if you're a fighter, if you got a cut eye, uh, they won't let you. The commission won't let you fight. So a lot of people just don't understand, and I think this will give them a chance to understand boxing. He also responded when I asked him how he ranked with the top three fighters today. Well, you have to rank Frazier, Clay, and then George Foreman. Jerry Quarry, in between uh, probably Foreman and uh, and Clay, but. Former, uh, uh, Jerry Quarry is a good fighter, but I don't think he made his mind up yet whether he won't be, be a, really be a fighter or whether it will be something else. Now here's the world's greatest dummy with the world's greatest actor, Charlie McCarthy and John Barrymore. The fella's dying to meet me. <laughs> After all, why should I talk to McCarthy? He's the insidious individual who is most responsible for tearing down the glorious traditions of our theater. Talk to McCarthy. Bah! That's gonna cost him. <laughs> First, it was a rodent by the name of Mickey. And now it's a piece of unfinished lumber by the name of McCarthy. <laughs> bah! Baba! I raised him. Charlie, will you please be respectful? This is John Barrymore. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Barrymore? I'm sorry. Me me meeting you is, is the greatest thrill of my life. It is? Oh, maybe I was wrong about you. Yeah, yes, it, it is a thrill. Now I can tell everybody I've met the brother of Lionel Barrymore. <laughs> John, you please be careful. Don't you realize this is John Barrymore? Oh, John Barrymore. Why didn't you tell me? Well, I did. Well, I knew I heard the name somewhere. <laughs> Mr. Barrymore, are you interested in the theater? <laughs> Oh, 
A shame, a splinter like you. Hardly out of a sawmill. With the sap not yet dry behind your ears. Lay off, Macduff. <laughs> this is going to develop into a horrible friendship. <laughs> oh, tempera, oh, mores. To think that I have come to this, alas and alack, I bandy words with an overgrown stump. <laughs> I resent that word, bandy. Or is it a word stump that I don't like? What kind of talk is this? That, sir, is the language of Shakespeare, than which there is nothing more beautiful. My work is steeped in that tradition. What experience have you had? Well, John, I had a funny one last night. <laughs> I was sitting next to a girl, minding my own business. Jolly, will you please? <laughs> Mr. Barrymore is referring to your stage experience. Oh, excuse me. John, I'll never forget your performance in Hamlet. It is the greatest I've ever seen. It ran for quite a time, didn't it? Yes, Edgar. I played Hamlet for 12 months. And for two years, I was Richard III. When I had scarlet fever, I was Napoleon for three hours. <laughs> Charlie, we're talking about Shakespeare's play. Oh, excuse me. What part did you play in Hamlet, Mr. Barrymore? Romeo? No, no. <laughs> I played Hamlet. Hamlet. The melancholy Dane. Oh, the melancholy Dane. Well, shake hands with Bergen, the slap happy Swede. <laughs> all right, all right. Charlie. No matter what I do, I firmly believe in keeping active on the stage. It's a lot safer that way. They can't hit you if you keep moving, can they? <laughs> Carry on, McDuff. Bah! 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 Well, that wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio. By the way, the commercial announcements were for entertainment purposes only and not an endorsement of the Department of Defense. This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood, California, inviting you to join me next week for more shows and personalities from Radio's Golden Days. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service.